Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. These images of the heavenly celebration are captured uh, in part in the reading of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. It's our scripture for today. And as I read, I hope you will let your imagination go with all the vivid imagery that's in this apocalyptic reading. And you'll see why the church has chosen this reading for today, All Saints Day, as a comfort as we think about those we have lost. Let's hear together the revelation of John. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God singing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white? And where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We might have expected to hear that reading today. You probably think this next verse is a little bit early in the season. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So, of course, Caesar Augustus was emperor of the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus. His rule began in AD 27, or 27 BC, rather. His his reign launched a 200-year stretch of stable Roman history that's commonly referred to as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. 
during this time. It, it lasted over the course of five emperors, but trade expanded and territory boundaries enlarged and populations grew. But Pax peace, of course, doesn't mean that there was complete national unity or that there were no wars or revolts. It, instead, it just means that the Romans, who had, had for centuries been at war with one power or, or another, had this two-century stretch where their opponents had been so beaten down that they had lost their ability to resist. And once they had this power, once Rome controlled the land, they kept the peace, they kept uprisings at bay by one of two ways. Number one, they looked for any challenge to the throne and took care of that uprising as early as possible. They tried to get it before it turned into any kind of legitimate threat. Uh, Nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. As you know, this is a major theme in the life of Jesus, right? All of this talk about Jesus being the Messiah, the King of Israel, you start talking about that and the Roman people in power get a little antsy. So we've seen many, many stories in our Old Testament lessons about Jesus' conflict with the government because so many people in the government saw the popularity of Jesus as a threat to Caesar. And nobody challenges Caesar. The second way that they kind of kept a lid on any uprising is that they deified the emperor. They treated him as a god. They required worshipful obedience to the Roman emperor. And they proclaimed regularly that he and he alone was the source of all prosperity He's the one who provided protection and health and all good things. So bow down and worship him. Well, as you might imagine, uh, that caused a little bit of a problem for the Christian community. (laughs) Because the Christians were simply not going to do it. They're not going to bow down to Caesar. How would a Christ follower pledge his or her obedience to the head of a government? The the most serious Christians were not going to worship the emperor, which, of course, ended in persecution. And by persecution, I, I, I don't mean that people put hateful things on their Facebook page. I mean real persecution. I mean some of them being put to death. There's a record of, of, in some cases, they would tie animal skins, they would sew animal skins onto these, uh, these Christians who had been not willing to bow down to Caesar, and then they would throw them into the arena and just let the mad dogs go after them until the dogs won. It was a spectator sport. We'll teach them to not bow down to our government leader. Some of these immovable Christians were crucified. Some were set on fire. You, You get the picture. 
To not bow down to Caesar was serious, serious business. And the Roman torment of the Christian community was not just flourishing in Rome. About the same times that the Christians were being literally thrown to the dogs in Rome, Asia Minor was having uh, its own series of persecution parties too. Because there were a group of Christians who would not say that their first allegiance was to Caesar. Well, it is during this time, this is what's going on in history, when, when John on the Isle of Patmos writes his beautiful revelation, the book of Revelation, and he writes it as a word of comfort to these Christians. I know it might not seem like much of a comfort when you read it. I mean, with all the imagery and imagination and symbol and beast and blood and all that we see. But it is, as we'll soon see, intended to be a word of comfort to these Christians. Our passage today, this this wonderful imaginative passage, addresses two pressing concerns that are going on in the minds of the persecuted Christians. And this, this passage is not prose, it is art, it's drama. It, it's intended to awaken all of our senses so we, we might experience the fullness of what the poet has imagined. And, and here are the two things that he, he is addressing in this wonderful evocative imagery. First, the Christians are saying, our family and friends are dying. I mean, they're being burnt and crucified. And what happens to them? What happens to the Christian after he or she dies? That's why this reading is so commonly a part of our All Saints Day celebration. So so the tortured community is asking, what happens to those who die and John's image creates an image of hope. So let's take a look at those verses. First, did you notice that our reading began with the phrase, after this? Well, anytime you've got a reading that starts with after this, you probably ought to check what happened before this. And right before this passage is the familiar vision of the 144,000 marked with a seal on their forehead. That's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So John's uh, imagination and revelation has identified 144,000. But then we turn the page, we get to the very next story, our scripture for today. And it looks like out of nowhere, there are folks coming that far exceed the 144,000. This is our reading, part of our reading for today. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So you might have heard the debate that's been going on for years about who is the 144,000. But the very next image 
The very next passage, our text for today, says that first 144,000, they are joined by more and more and more and more, and they are from all over the world. In In that vision, John is asked, then one of the elders addresses me saying, who are these robed in white? Where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you're the one that knows. And here is the scandal and the welcome hope of this vision of John. There are more people gathered around the throne of God than any of us thought would make it. They will hunger no more. They thirst no more. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There are more in this heavenly vision than we ever expected, and they are singing and praising and having a ball. The Christian community has lost so many of their faithful. There are always questions around that. What happens to somebody when they have died? And John paints this wonderful image of more people than we expected or imagined, gathered by the throne of God, no longer hurting, no longer hungry, no longer thirsty, no longer crying. They are singing and worshiping and having a ball. But here's the second question that these persecuted saints have in their mind that John addresses in this wonderful apocalyptic vision. Is God really more powerful than Caesar? I mean, we watch the Jesus followers being persecuted in this horrible, horrible violence And the people who do the persecuting, the the government officials in power, they're off snow skiing in Aspen somewhere. It seems like those in government power might have the real power. And they get all the TV coverage and they set our tax rate. I don't have a job. The PPP money's run out. My uncle is on a ventilator. I'm at the end of my reserves. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm watching these people get persecuted, thrown to the dogs. And do I need a new savior? They're asking. Maybe we should just worship Caesar. He seems to have more influence Because somehow God is allowing this persecution to happen. So they're wondering perhaps if it is time to just go ahead and bow down. And John's revelation offers this vision in response. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb, is seated. Every emperor is temporary. 
It is God who saves, and it is God who is seated on the throne. Regardless of what happens Tuesday, God is not moved. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. The Roman government demanded worship of Augustus Caesar as though he were God. And yet, Augustus died of natural causes in A.D. 14. And he was followed by Tiberius, who was followed by Caligula, succeeded by Claudius, who was on the throne until he was poisoned. And the scepter passed then to Nero, and then Galba, and Otho, and on and on. Every Roman emperor was passing through. And the image in the book of Revelation remains eternal. After this I looked. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne, worshipped God singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The Roman Empire was so divided about who would get their political loyalty. They were so divided that if people did not worship the emperor they had chosen, they would even be put to death. Well, as I've said, I'm glad our current political acrimony hasn't been led to anybody being thrown to the dogs. But we're still scared about what's upcoming. We're as divided as ever about where our loyalty should lie. And the things I get in my mailbox and the ads that I see on television describing what might happen if we don't place our loyalty to the right emperor, the images they use are almost apocalyptic in scale. Some of the political ads have an end-of-the-world tone to them. If, if my candidate does not win, the earth will stop spinning. Well, it's not so. John writes his apocalyptic vision of hope to tell these endangered, loyal Christians that any temporary emperor or any temporary circumstance is eclipsed by the grand eternal vision of God's reign. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So 
Caesar will not save you. And Caesar is not to be worshipped. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Government leaders are always passing through. Augustus Caesar followed by Tiberius and so on. And when the election is over and all the votes are counted, it will be God who is seated on the throne still. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Unless you are completely unreflective, completely ideologue, you will be disappointed by any Roman official. One moment he or she will surprise you with goodness and the next day crush you with his or her depravity. Christians do not worship the emperor. We bow before the throne of God only and we worship the one who has never, never, never failed. For the Lamb is at the center of the throne, and He will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs, the water of life, and God will walk away every tear from their eyes. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.